listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. My family and I just got back from vacation in Ocean City, Maryland. Have you been to Ocean City, Maryland? Pretty awesome place. I did nothing but sit on the beach next to Janet, read a book, watch my kids play in the sand and surf, occasionally get up and swim with them, and of course, eat. Now, all this talk about a balanced diet and eating a healthy diet is not true. I'm here to tell you it's not true. All I did all week long, all I ate was dumpsters ice cream, caramel-covered corn, That's all I ate. Well, I would never be as foolish to do that when there's pizza nearby. (laughs) Tony's rooftop pizza, man, we sat there on the top of that roof eating pizza, and then there's Caruso's pizza. You have to decide which one's better. I don't know which one's better. And then there's Thrasher's French fries, which we had on multiple occasions. You know what I'm talking about? So now I have to figure out how I'm going to shed these extra pounds that I put on, which is part of the reason why I'm wearing sweatpants today. (laughs) I know that I cannot run because I'm not a runner. I was never a runner, never will be, unless somebody's chasing me, and I don't have plans on going back to New Jersey anytime soon. So I know that I can't run. I'm not a runner. I don't run fast when Janet's chasing me, of course. There's times when you want to slow down. But... I'm not a runner, so I have to figure out some other way to shed off this weight, but the truth of the matter is that I'm actually very good at running, and so are you. See, we all run either toward God or away from Him. We all do. The truth of the matter is that all of us have recreated God or some aspect of God in our own image. We've changed the narrative about what God's really like about what he thinks of us truly at the deepest level. And that is what often keeps God at arm's length or further from us. See, it's our stinking thinking. It's the way we've changed the truth about God, which we have no right to do, which ends up being our biggest obstacle in drawing nearer to him. And nowhere is this perhaps driven home with greater clarity than in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. Luke 15, 11, one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, which presents a significant problem for us because the more familiar we are with a passage of the Bible, the more we think we understand it, the less time we spend marinating in it and the less, therefore, we get out of it. It's important for us to look again and again and again, especially at those passages of Scripture that we think we're familiar with, so that we can get all there is out of it. We can milk it for all it's worth, because what needs to happen in your life and mine is the very same thing. The false things about God need to be replaced with the truth. The false things about you need to be replaced with the truth. We need God's truth in his word to help us think rightly about God so that we no longer keep ourselves at arm's distance or longer from him. We no longer keep him at a distance from us because the truth is that if we understood the love of God, we would go running toward him. 
Luke 15, 11. And he said, Jesus, there was a man who had two sons, and from the very beginning, we understand that there are three characters, three players in this drama, this parable. There's a man, a father, who represents God, and two sons. One of them is a prodigal, and then there's the other son. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and his shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Imagine that, dancing. I thought we weren't supposed to dance. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so the parable ends with an open-ended invitation. Jesus speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, speaking to the crowd of people as well, who will be able to identify with this story. Which of the sons are they? And which of the sons are you? What perception of God do you have? Obviously, this father figure represents our heavenly father. Otherwise, Jesus would not be talking about it. Jesus would not be presenting it. Everything that Jesus was teaching was helping us, helping the people in his day understand the truth about God, the truth about themselves, 
And so there are three players, and each one of them is important to you because in the course of your life, you will act like or meet each of these characters. In the course of your life, you will behave like or you will meet each of these characters. The father figure. You know, difficulties we have with our earthly fathers eventually manifest themselves with difficulties to our heavenly father, God as our father. Many of us cannot comprehend the idea of God being a loving, compassionate, merciful, and yet holy and righteous God because our earthly fathers didn't live up, didn't fit the bill. You know, fathers, when you have your children, as you're raising your children, I know that this things to say this for some of us who are older, where we're no longer raising our children at that key age, but fathers, the way you're raising your children right now has a direct impact, a direct impact on their ability or their inability to see God as holy, to see God as just, but to also see God as compassionate, and gracious, and merciful. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. There is a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is God giving us things we don't deserve, gifts, undeserved favor, the giving of something that we do not deserve. That's what grace is. It's undeserved favor, the receipt of something that is not earned. That's what grace is. But mercy is the withholding of something that we do deserve. Mercy is the withholding of judgment that is deserved. And fathers, you need to understand as the leader in your household, you need to take inventory about how well you are leading because your children need to see not only the just nature and the holy nature of God. They also need to see his grace. They also need to see his mercy. You need to be looking for opportunities to teach your children those object lessons. Don't assume that they are connecting the dots. Say to your children, I'm going to be gracious to you now. I'm going to give you something you do not deserve. And that is what God did for us through Christ. He's given us salvation the forgiveness of all of our sins, an eternal inheritance that you don't deserve, just like you don't deserve this gift that I'm now giving you now. Why am I giving it to you, son? Why am I giving it to you, daughter? Because I love you and because God loves you. Then there are also instances where your son or your daughter deserves punishment. You need to be careful that you don't cross the line Spare the rod, spoil the child. This is where wisdom and being filled with the Holy Spirit becomes especially important. God has given us a handbook for life. It's called the Bible. And the more we're in this Bible, the more our stinking thinking is replaced, the more we understand the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about other people. And as we are led by the Holy Spirit, we understand which scriptures are to be applied under what circumstances. 
and at what situation we should discipline our children and in what situations we should extend mercy. But when you extend mercy, do not confuse mercy with shoddy leadership. The mercy of God is targeted. The mercy of God is specific. And in the scriptures, when we see God extending mercy to his people or mercy to an individual, it's always clear that God is being intentional in why he's doing it and how he's doing it. And you as fathers need to lead the way. So that when your child deserves to be judged or disciplined in a particular way, maybe they're doing something again and again, or maybe they've done something for the very first time, and you step in, you must explain to them what you deserve is this punishment. However, in this particular instance, I'm going to withhold punishment, and I'm going to exercise mercy toward you because our God the one who made me the leader in this family, which makes me shake and quake in my boots. Any man who really understands that understands you've got a tremendous responsibility before God not to be taken lightly. But you explain to your child, even though this is deserved, I am being merciful because our God is a merciful and compassionate God. How do I know that? Because this is what the Bible teaches. My thinking is stinking from birth, and yours is too. That's why Romans 12 says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The best chance to have your mind renewed, my mind too, is to be in the Word of God, where God replaces our stinking thinking with truths about himself, truths about us, truths about each other, truths about life that keep us from missing the glory, the goodness of God. So what, it is, what is it in your life that's keeping you at arm's length or maybe further from God? See, one of these two sons sinned greatly against his father, sinned greatly against the Lord when it says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And it's said twice. It's said in verse 19. It's said in verse 21. It's a nice way of saying, in a way that upholds the name of God and reveres the, the name of God, the personal name of God, it's a nice way of saying his name without saying it. I've sinned against heaven. It's the same thing as saying I've sinned against God. And I've sinned against you. See, what one of these sons did is he comes to his father and he says, I want my inheritance early. Completely inappropriate for the younger son to do that, let alone either of the sons, that the father was going to divide the inheritance. He could do that before his death, before his passing. It was often the case, but he would do it without giving up the income from his estate. So if he was renting property or had income to be made from investments that he made, he would continue, the father would continue to take the income from that if he wanted to divide the spoils among his children. Typically, the older son would get double the portion than the younger son. But it's completely out of character for the younger son to go to his father and to ask for that inheritance. But look what happens here. Verse 12, he divided his property between them. 
And then the intentions of the younger son become very clear, very obvious, very clear from the very beginning. He goes deliberately, intentionally to a foreign place and he squanders all of his money, the inheritance that his father worked for all of his life and built up and accrued. He wastes it. He's stupid. He's foolish. He's sinful. On top of the pride and the arrogance that he had in asking for it in the first place, he makes his intentions known in the face of his father, flagrantly letting him know, listen, I'm taking all of your money that you gave me, which now you're going to see how I spend it. It's one thing for somebody to pass and not to see how their children will spend their inheritance, but it's quite another to still be around and to see what you worked so hard for, wanting and wishing good things for your children to be squandered away in an ungodly, godless, shameful, arrogant way. It's the most flagrant sin that this son could commit. And then the just desserts come to this boy because he ends up hanging out with pigs. No Jew in their right mind would hang out with pigs, let alone end up feeding them. The implication is that he who laughs last, laughs best, and God gets the last laugh here in providing the discipline for this young man to bring him to his sentence. where this Jewish boy, this young man, ends up feeding pigs, making himself unclean. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would be looking down their noses as they're hearing Jesus talk about this and saying, what a terrible situation as Jesus is describing this story. And the younger son is being disciplined by the hand of God, and what happens to him is repentance. See, we don't see the compassion of God being extended in Scripture consistently without repentance. Repentance is often a prerequisite that God does indeed require before he expresses himself with blessing. You say, well, that's not the way I understand grace. See, that's the problem that most of us have. We think that God owes us something, that God's going to be good to me, and that we deserve that. See how we add things to what grace is? It's the undeserved favor of God. Mercy, the withholding of discipline or judgment that we do deserve. But you see what grace is? The blessing of God comes... The kindness of God comes, the goodness of God comes, often after there is repentance. And we see this not just once in this passage, but twice. In verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Look with me at verse 18. I'll arise and go to my father. In other words, he realizes... What am I doing? I'm out of my mind to be living this way. And he was out of his mind. He blew it big time. Now he's going to have to humble himself before his father. 
apologize to him, own up, fess up, admit that what he did was foolish, admit that what he did was prideful, admit that what he did was ridiculous, face the certainty of being embarrassed not only before his father but before his whole family, living for the rest of his life knowing that there is no further inheritance to be gotten. It's now gone, living as the younger brother next to or near his older brother who certainly has not and would not squander his father's inheritance. But look at what this young man does. I'll rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, sinned against God, sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy. Again, the teaching in the scripture of worthy and unworthy versus being worthless. This boy, this young man is not worthless. He is unworthy because of how he lived. He's not worthy to be called his son. He's not worthy to be received back into that family after the gross, egregious, terrible sins that he committed vertically and horizontally. It was a slap in his father's face heard round the world. In verse 20, he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. The reference to the implication of the omniscience of God, that God knows all things. And God knew first and foremost this young man's heart, that he was truly repentant. And he felt compassion. And look who does the running. If you ever wondered if God wears sweatpants, here it is. It's the father who goes running to the prodigal. And the father takes the best robe, orders the servants to put the best robe on him, a symbol of identity. This is my son, symbol of favor. The ring, the signet ring symbol of authority that this son could now execute family decisions on behalf of the father. What has this father been smoking? And sandals on the feet, the slaves were to remain barefooted. The family members were to have sandals on their feet. This father is making a statement of full embracing, full reintegration, full forgiveness, full compassion, full embracing. This son is not in any way, shape, or form spurned by the Father. So what is keeping you from him? I'm not sure that we really understand the compassion of God the way Jesus wants us to. The only reason we keep God at arm's length is because of our thinking, not God's. The only reason we keep God at arm's length or further is when we refuse to repent. When we refuse to be honest with God about the real condition of our hearts, the real nature of our falling short before him. See, this son mentions it not just once, he does it twice. How many of us have started off with good intentions? I'm going to do this before the Lord, and then we fail to follow through. This son 
follows through. Jesus mentions it twice. Look in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's, he's now said it twice. He said it before he went to the father and was uncertain about the reception he would have. And then he says it again when he's been in his very presence. And the father has arms wide open to him to receive him and embrace him. Let, let me help you connect the dots here. The other son, the one who doesn't get much of a mention in the story, the older son, had a really hard time with this because the younger son not only slapped the father in the face, the older son wants to see a sense of righteousness. He has a righteous indignation. You know anybody who struggles with a righteous indignation? Why is that person blessed and forgiven and received by God? Sometimes it seems like God is not fair. No, he's not fair, but he is just. He is just. The older son is upset because the implication is that this younger one has been hanging out with prostitutes. He's unclean for a variety of reasons. And you're letting this guy back into the household? He's been God knows where, literally. And you're letting this guy back into the household, this son of yours, in other words, the older one, seems to have disowned him. When the father didn't and wouldn't. You know, if the father could embrace, reintegrate this prodigal into his family when he had become ceremonially unclean, sexually unclean, completely arrogant and prideful, demonstrably foolish in what he did with his father's hard-earned money. What is it in your life and mine that's worse than that? The implication is you can fill in the blanks however you want. This younger guy did it. Spit in his father's face, took his money, rubbed it in his father's face, did whatever he wanted, and then had the audacity to come back to his father and say, could you please let me work among the servants? And the father would have had every right to do exactly that and would have been kind to him just in letting him take his number with the servants. You're lucky to have a roof over your head, a bed to sleep on, if that. The father goes above and beyond. If only we understood the love of God, we would run to him. If only we understood the compassion of God, we would run to him. If only we understood the mercy of God, we would run to him. But you see, the problem that we have is the same problem that the Pharisees had. We're a lot like the older son who doesn't understand the compassion of God, doesn't understand God as father, doesn't understand the mercy of God, doesn't understand the goodness of God. And so when God demonstrates in the truthfulness of his character a consistency of forgiving, when there is repentance... 
we end up being like the older son, not the younger. It's so difficult for us to grasp the compassion, the mercy, the love of God, the goodness of God, that we have difficulty expressing it to others. But it doesn't have to be that way. So difficult for us to grasp the compassion, the grace, the mercy, the love of God that we keep him at arm's length because we recreated him or recreated some aspect of God in our own image. And we need that image, that false image, which is hindering our ability to experience the love, the goodness, the embrace of God in a deepening way. It needs to be replaced so that we can enjoy the love of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God. This is why Jesus came. There are three characters in this story. There are three characters in the course of life. You will come across them. You will, at one point or another, behave like one of these characters. This is an open-ended story that Jesus gives to us, an open-ended story to leave it for the Pharisees and the Sadducees to decide for themselves Will you come to the table? Will you come to the celebration? Will you come to where there's dancing? The Son of Man came. Jesus came into this world to forgive sinners and all that God is asking of every single one of us is the same, that we would repent, that we would acknowledge that we have sinned against heaven and that we are no longer worthy to have relationship and fellowship with God. That's the gospel. That's the great news. None of us is worthy to have the favor of God given to us, the blessings of God showered upon us, the withholding of the judgment of God that every single one of us deserves. But all that the Father is saying to us, our Heavenly Father is saying to us, is that if we will repent... If we will have a godly sorrow that brings us to our senses, He, God, will run to us. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.